Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. All right, recently there was a new program, a pilot program that was announced by the FDA called the Accreditation Scheme for Conformity Assessment, or ASCA, A-S-C-A. On uh, this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast, Mike Drews from Vascular Sciences and I dive into some of the nuances and the details of the ASCA pilot program and give you a little bit of insights of what this is all about and who it applies to and what the opportunities are. So enjoy this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host, founder and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. As we're recording this, it's you know the year-end hustle and bustle, all the things that are happening. Uh, I would expect that this would probably go live sometime in late December, maybe early January. But there's a lot of things going on. And this seems to have been, I don't know if it's the busiest year ever from FDA on new programs and guidances or what have you. But nonetheless, it's been a busy year. And and there's a, a newer program that that has come out that I thought we'd dive into a little bit today. And so joining me is Mike Drews. Mike is president of Vascular Sciences. And uh, a frequent guest on the Global Medical Device Podcast. So, Mike, welcome. Thank you, John. Always a pleasure to speak to you and your audience. Absolutely. So, there's this new thing out there. It's it's called the FDA Accreditation Scheme for Conformity Assessment Pilot Program, or ASCA. I guess that's the right way to say that. Um, what is this all about? Can you give us a little bit of an overview? Yeah, I certainly uh, can, John. And thanks again for the opportunity to talk to you and your audience about this. Um, so. First of all, a quick comment in terms of all of the quote-unquote new guidances and other things that are coming out of FDA over the last year. Um, yeah, that's true. There's a lot of paperwork coming out of the FDA. But as your audience has probably heard me say many times, John, I'm often reminded of the French philosopher who said, the more things change, the more they remain the same. Yeah. And so, yes, there has been a lot of paperwork that has come out of the agency, but I'm not sure how much of that paperwork, including the program that we're going to talk about today, is represents a, a, a substantive change compared to what we've been doing in the past. But anyway, with regard to the program that we're talking about today, the Accreditation Scheme for Conformity Assessment Pilot Program, and by the way, John, I'm not sure who comes up with the titles for these things, but it's, <laughs> some of them are, are quite a mouthful. Yeah. Basically, the idea is very simple. For uh, medical devices, as we all know, manufacturers are required to do usually a series of tests to show the safety and efficacy of the device to establish the label claims and so on and so on. This accreditation program basically allows a company who's in the business of doing such testing, it could be biocompatibility testing, electrical safety testing, what have you, to essentially become accredited or certified, if you will, to do this kind of testing according to ISO 17025, which are the general requirements for the competence of, um, uh, competence of testing and calibration labs uh, recognized by accreditation bodies. 
So basically, these testing labs would become accredited, would become a certified by FDA. And basically, then the, the, manuf- the medical device manufacturer can use one of these testing labs to do that testing of their device, to collect their data, to summarize the results, to stick it into their 510K or de novo or PMA, and essentially that, that uh, they're done. So it's kind of, if you, if you will, John, a sort of a consumer reports sort of approach to testing. The, the, the certification is on the testing lab as opposed to the medical device company, if that makes sense. It, it does. And I think this is a pilot program. So how long has this pilot been active? Do you know? I mean, it's pretty it, new, right? It's- it's, well, the idea, uh, the um, uh, this particular program is is new, but the idea is 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 not new at all. We've we've had um, uh, we can talk about this a, a little more in a couple of minutes, but this is sort of along the lines of FDA certification. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, FDA registration, which is a little you know more emphasis on the on the quality side. Does the company have a, a quality management system, as opposed to are they doing the test properly? Um, it's also similar to a lab that would get GMP certified to do this kind of testing. So in a sense, it's a pilot program. But as I said, John, not to be the dead horse here, but the more things change, the more they remain the same. Yeah, and you referenced the uh, ISO 17025 standard, and I think the current version of that is a 2017 publication. So obviously that standard has been around for a while. And and I guess I'm just curious, do you have any sense for, for how many entities have actually gone through and and become certified to that particular ISO standard? Any guesses there? I mean, is this a pretty well-known thing? It's a good question, John. I don't, I can't give you statistics off the top of my head. I'm not even sure if those are publicly available, but I suspect as part of this program, yeah, I suspect as part of this program, and if it's not, this would be one of my recommendations to the FDA, that on FDA's website should be a list of companies that are already accredited by FDA. And again, this is not a new idea for for companies that are, say, uh, accredited for third-party review. Those that list of companies is available on FDA's website. Yeah. So that information should be available on FDA's website if it's not already. All right. And so what's the advantage? I mean, I from a med device company, of course, there's a I think there's sort of this assumption that if if a testing lab or some sort of a accreditation body or what have you that sort of fits in the scope of, of this ASCA program is is accredited to and certified to this particular standard, that that should mean something, right? Just like you know, working with a supplier who's 1345 certified should mean something. Um, but what's the real advantage for a medical device company uh, working with companies that are, that are within this ASCA uh, umbrella, if you will? Well, I could not agree with you more that getting this kind of a certification, to use your phrase, John, should mean something. But uh, whether it actually does in reality or not, I'm not always sure. We can talk about that. But from the medical device manufacturer's perspective, it's actually quite simple. So when when a device manufacturer is bringing a device onto the market, whether it's 510K, de novo, PMA, or what have you, you can select one of these accredited testing labs to do your testing. You don't have to. You can test. You can select a non-accredited lab, or you can even do that uh, that testing yourself 
if you want to. Sure. But obviously, if you do test, uh, sorry, if you do select one of these accredited testing labs, then from the FDA review perspective, it becomes a little bit more of a tick box on the form, so to speak. In other words, because already because FDA has already accredited the lab, and because they will periodically audit the lab to make sure that they, you know, will continue to do the things that they're supposed to do, doing the the testing in accordance with the appropriate guidance or regulation, then. And I have to be a little careful what I say here, John, because I do, as you know, work as a consultant yeah. to the agency. FDA might mm, might might sort of gloss over that testing a little bit more uh, quickly. In other words, they might figure, well, gee, these guys are already accredited, so we assume that they know what they're doing. We assume that the testing and the data was collected, you know, um, appropriately. Yada yada yada. If, on the other hand, the manufacturer decides to use a lab that's not accredited. Or if they decide to do the testing themselves, and again, John, companies always have that option, you can certainly do that, but it's not quite a tick box on the form. In other words, FDA will likely look into the details more stringently um, to make sure that the people that did the testing yeah. uh, did it correctly that, and, and, and so on. Yeah. Another advantage of the uh, of going with one of these accredited labs is uh, then the manufacturer can simply include a summary test report in the actual submission from the, the testing lab. So that, that's an advantage from the regulatory submission perspective. Um, you know, we did this testing. Here's uh, in, in, the, um, uh, in the submission, the, base, the companies, the manufacturer says we did the testing. Here's a summary of the results. We don't have to give you the all the results and all of the data because we use this accredited lab. On the other hand, if FDA wants that uh, more information, they can always ask for it. Does that make sense, John? It, it does. And and uh, as you were given uh, those details, uh, a thought uh, was popped into my brain. You said you know certainly companies have the option to do the testing themselves. So in, if I choose to go down that path. There could be some advantage to me as a medical device company to actually becoming accredited as part of this program too, right? Yeah, that's an interesting uh, idea, John. Although to a certain extent, there might be a bit of a conflict of interest there. Yeah. You know, is is that putting the the, the fox in charge of the hen house? <laughs> um, because and, and this is a good point, John. Because this, in my opinion, is where FDA does not take this program far enough. And that is, it's one thing to talk about, does the lab, do they do the, the testing appropriately? Do they analyze the data appropriately? And so on and so on. But it's quite another thing when we talk about who's responsible for deciding which tests that we actually do and how are they actually done. In my opinion, and this is where I would like to see uh, the FDA take this further to be closer to the Consumer Reports magazine model, the the testing lab, if you really want them to be independent, then basically what should happen is the medical device manufacturer should basically say to the testing lab, okay, here's our device. Let's say it's a catheter, for example. This is what it does. This is the way that it works. This is our labeling and so on. You figure out which tests are appropriate to show the safety and efficacy to establish the label of this of this catheter and so on. You decide how to best do them, and then you do all that stuff independent of you know what we may or may not say and then you report these results back to us and we will in turn report them to the FDA. 
Now, obviously, that can be a huge concern to the manufacturer, John, because as you can imagine, that gives up a tremendous amount of control yeah. as to which tests are done and how they're designed. When I started out as an R&D engineer uh, a very, very long time ago, John, I spent a lot of my time choosing which tests to do for yeah, my particular sure. medical device and more precisely how to do that. Um, so I would like to see the program taken further as I just described, but right now we're not quite there yet. What do you, what do you think of that idea, John? Well, I, I like that idea. And I, I guess as I was reading about this, there was, it seems like there, there's some parallels to some things that are happening with the FDA digital health pre-certification program. Like, like there's, they feel like they're the, the same sort of initiative, uh, at least from a 30,000 foot view perspective. Um, what do you think? I think that's a that's a great uh, observation, John. You know, one of the the skills that I try to help people develop is always looking for similarities where no similarities seem to exist. So this is one of the reasons why I said that technically this program is new, but it kind of depends on what your definition of new is. Like you, John, I see this very very similar to not just the software pre-cert program, but to other kinds of yeah. programs like, for example, biocompatibility testing, mm -hmm. like the relatively new safety and performance-based 510K that you and I have talked about. Uh, but let's talk about how it compares to the pre-cert program for a minute. For those that are not familiar with it, uh, the, the software pre-cert program is another program, also still under pilot, uh, where if a company is is making medical device software, so-called uh, software as a medical device, they don't have to go back to the FDA every time they change one line of code. That would be nuts. Instead, FDA certifies the, the company or the team, in other words, to show that they know what they're doing so that then they can implement those changes directly. It's kind of like when you get a driver's license, John, you don't have to get yeah. permission to drive from your house to the grocery store or your house right. to your office or something like that. That would be nuts. Instead, you get a certification, you get a driver's license so that you can, once you demonstrate your competency that you know how to drive, then you can drive anywhere you want. Well, the pre-cert program is exactly the same. This uh, accreditation scheme for conformity testing is also exactly the same. The certification is on the company doing the testing as opposed to uh, on the testing itself. One thing that I would add to that, John, I mentioned the, the biocompatibility briefly. Let me give you an example that I'm involved with right now. So one of the companies that I'm working with, they essentially farmed out their biocomp testing, as many companies do, to another company. But the problem is the folks in the medical device company really do not have a clue as to what this particular biocompatibility testing is, uh, company is doing and why they're doing it, FDA came back to them with some questions after the submission, and now the company you know, doesn't know how to respond because they don't know why the testing was done to begin with. So the mo one of the most important things for our audience to remember, John, is, as I said, a medical device manufacturer can choose to use one of these pre-accredited testing companies or not, but at the end of the day, and I want to be crystal clear on this, and it says this in the guidance as well, the device manufacturer is ultimately responsible for the inclusion of the appropriate device testing information in yeah. its submission, as well as making sure that the standards are selected and used properly 
uh, and so on. So this is not a shifting of responsibility. The responsibility always has and should be on the manufacturer. And the other thing that I would say, John, is this is not a reduction in the regulatory requirements. In other words, the same testing is being done. The only thing that's that's a little bit different here is who's doing the testing and how it's actually evaluated by the FDA. Yeah, I think that's key. And, and I, I like the point that this isn't a... Uh a shift of responsibility. I, I think I think this is sometimes a fault that we have, and I'm generalizing a great deal here in the medical device industries. We look at programs like this and like, oh, well, I have to do less and I can shift that responsibility away from me to somebody else. But no, that's not the case here. So really good point. Um, the other thing- As I like we, to describe it, as I like to describe it, John, yeah. the, the companies who, whose name is at the top of the label, is ultimately responsible. Absolutely. And that has not had, that has not changed here. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. No. The other um, thing that I was um, that popped into my brain as I was reading through this this program, uh, I remember uh, I think it was about four years ago, and at the time there was I, I don't remember if it was a guidance or an announcement or, or what exact form it came from from the FDA, but there was some semi-active initiative to regulate lab developed tests as under you know as medical devices and then you know it, uh, things happen political things happen and then FDA kind of backed off on that and i wonder though if this uh, this current ASCA pilot program if there's any sort of connection to lab developed tests and, and maybe you know more specifically some of the events that happen in the past few years, you know, I'm, I'm thinking specifically of the, the Theranos debacle that tragically unfolded uh, in a very poor way in a lot of uh, press and publications. It, it, do you think there's any correlation or relation to those events in, in this program at all? Yeah, you know, it's a very interesting question, John. Again, we always have to look for similarities where no similarities seem to exist. So if I could spin your question in a, in a slightly different, slightly similar sure. way. The question is, would the Theranos debacle, and I love that word, John, would the Theranos debacle have happened if we had this program in place? Well, let's remember, John, that this program is a voluntary program. So although a medical device manufacturer, like, for example, Theranos, could use one of these pre-accredited testing agencies, uh, they don't have to. They could use an unaccredited testing agency, or in the case of Theranos, they could do the testing themselves. So uh, even if this program were to occur, it's not, it's not a guarantee that the Theranos situation would not have happened, because if Theranos did the testing themselves, it would be exactly the result that we did today. It would, it, if you really wanted to test the, uh, the, the, this, this, this program, the question is, if one of these pre-approved uh, uh, pre or pre-certified uh, agencies did the testing, would they have come to a different result? That would be uh, sort of an interesting um, yeah. retrospective test to see about the, the efficacy. But bottom line, John, I don't think we can conclude that it would have prevented the Theranos debacle because this program that we're talking about today, this accreditation scheme, is voluntary. It's not mandatory. True. One could argue that maybe this program should be mandatory. You know, think about it this way, John. Should a medical device manufacturer who has a vested interest, a fiduciary interest in the results of a test, 
should they be doing the test? You know, is that the proverbial putting the fox in charge of the hen house? And in that sense, maybe this program should be mandatory. Maybe medical device manufacturers, as, as, as part of the approval process, should be required to have their testing done by an independent, a pre-certified testing agency. But as I said, John, most medical device manufacturers are probably not keen on that because it gives up a lot of the control. Yeah, I would imagine there would be a lot of pushback there. But, you know, it... it, it the other thought, you know, you talked about this program. It is voluntary, yes, for sure, uh, and it is a pilot program. And you know, I know there's we we mentioned the the digital health pre cert program that's also in pilot phase, and I think has been now for a couple of years. It kind of begs the question. I mean, and, and I realize this may require a crystal ball and a, a, some sort of prediction from Mike Drews, which I'm sure you're, you're more more than comfortable in doing, but. Um, <laughs> You know, why do, it seems like a lot of these pilots, they seem like they take a really long time uh, to go through, you know, this pilot phase. Some of them, you know, never go to the next step and and some of them do go to the next step. But, you know, uh, uh, some other recent examples like MDSAP was another pilot program and participation in that from an FDA perspective is it's exited the pilot, but participation in that today is still voluntary. And, you know, there's another pilot that, that comes to mind, a case for quality. It's been around for a few years. So uh, this is, a, uh, uh, I guess, more of a ph- philosophical question maybe, but why do these pilots seem to languish? <laughs> well, it there. you know, it's a, it's a great question, John, and you and your audience probably know me well enough that, you know, when somebody asks me a question like that, it's obviously it's a loaded question. And by the way, it's not limited to just the pilot programs that you just mentioned. One could say exactly the same thing for a lot of guidances that remain yeah. in draft form for a very long time, if not forever, and are not finalized. Look, and I realize that we're having a public conversation and we're being recorded, and I know there's a lot of people listening to us, but I'm going to be, you know, very honest with you, we're talking about the U.S. government here. They're not exactly known for their expediency. So it does take a while. And to be fair, you know, when we institute new programs like this, it makes sense to beta test them for a little while to make sure that, in fact, they do what we really want them to do before we release them for general consumption. The question is, how long do we beta test them? You know, Microsoft beta test their products for years. You know, some yeah. software folks might say, you know, each each release is still just another beta test because yeah. it constantly make changes. So regulation uh, is, is is very much similar to that, John. I think the point is to understand these programs and to make sure we understand when we should consider them and what the advantages and disadvantages are, and so on. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I mean, you know, as I kicked off this episode, you know, talked about all the changes that have been happening and, and, or, and I'll use air quotes around the word uh, changes, but um, as a medical device professional, you know, I'm trying to look at it from that lens. Like what's, why, what's in it for me? Why, why is this program important? And, you know, along with all these other things, I mean, especially if they're voluntary, you know, this, if I'm not, if I don't have to do it, what's, (laughs) what's the big idea? And I know we've covered some of that, but what else about this program uh, do you think is important uh, for our listeners to, to take home? Well, before talking or summarizing the important points for, for industry, let me just uh, mention one other thing that I personally thought was very interesting uh, from the FDA's perspective. 
and that is in this uh, in this uh, quote unquote new program, the folks that from FDA that are going to be managing this pilot and evaluating, auditing these testing agencies to make sure that they fulfill the the expectations and so on, those FDA staff folks are separate and distinct, separate and independent from the FDA staff that actually conducts the uh, the pre market review, whether it's the five ten k or PMA or what have you. And I think that actually is a very good thing because we want to maintain independence, obviously not just between the company and the FDA or the company and the testing agency, but we also want to maintain independence within the FDA. We want to make sure Mm. that the folks that are evaluating these testing agencies are not the same ones that are the ones that are reviewing the actual submissions. In that sense, John, I think that's a very good idea. No, that's interesting. Um, that's, that's good. That's one of the new things that I think, because I haven't seen that kind of precedent in in other areas, including in the in the software preset pro- program that you mentioned earlier. No, it, it is. Uh, I hadn't thought about that angle. That is uh, very interesting. So very good twist on that. So all right. So what else is important about this that folks should be aware of? Okay, so to summarize uh, the important points from the manufacturer so that we can decide when to consider this this program and when not to, let me just recap a few things. First of all, when it comes to the testing for our medical devices to show safety, efficacy, performance, to establish the label claims, and so on, we basically have three options. Under this new pilot program, we can choose one of these uh, uh, accredited or pre certified, if you will, uh, agencies to do the actual testing. And if we do that, that becomes more of a tick box on the form, so to speak. But we also have the option, as we always have in the past, to use a testing agency that's not already accredited or to do that testing ourselves. We have those three options, and there's advantages and disadvantages of, of each of those. But as I said, John, the most important thing for, for us to remember as manufacturers is that we're responsible for the inclusion of the appropriate uh, testing information in the submission. We're responsible to make sure that not only we're following the standards, but more importantly, we're following the right standards. We choose them appropriately. When I go to the FDA with a pre-sub, John, and I know we've talked about this before, I don't just tell FDA the test that I'm going to be doing. I also tell the FDA the test that I'm not going to be doing and why I'm not doing them. Because as a professional biomedical engineer, to me, it's my responsibility to determine not just the testing that we're doing and why, but the testing that we're not. And if we choose to use one of these pre-accredited labs, then it becomes a little more like a, like a CE mark in the sense that we can just simply uh, include a declaration of conformity uh, in a summary of that testing results in our submission. And it becomes, as I said, a little more of a tick box on the form. Um, and the last thing that I would mention uh, in terms of our uh, advice for our audience, I see this kind of program. Uh, this is why I mentioned it's uh, the, the safety and performance-based 510K that was created just last year. Very similar to that in the sense that the safety and performance-based 510K is best for devices that have been around for a long time, that use well-established technologies, and that the testing methods are well-established. In other words, there are standards, whether it's a guidance or an ISO or something like that, because in the safety and performance-based 510K, 
we are showing substantial equivalence, but we are not showing substantial equivalence to another individual device. Instead, we're showing substantial equivalence to a standard. This is why it's nothing more than an ex extension of the abbreviated 510K, as you and I have talked about in the past. Well, this program is exactly the same. If you're developing a Me Too medical device, and let's be honest, the vast majority of medical devices, not just 510Ks, but also PMAs are Me Too's. If there's are accepted standards in place, then it makes sense to consider using one of these accredited labs to do the testing. But if you're going to be modifying some of those standards, or indeed, if your technology is a little new, a little different, and you have to develop proprietary tests to show safety, efficacy, performance, I'm not sure that I would be willing, as, as willing, to work with these uh, accredited uh, testing bodies as much. Um, I would probably develop that myself, and then take it to the FDA as a pre-sub and, and share it with them. So for the vast majority of medical devices that are MeToo's that that uh, use established uh, testing methodologies, I think this program has a lot of advantages. But for companies that are developing uh, a device that's a little different, and therefore the testing needs to be a little bit different, then I might be a little bit less inclined to use uh, a, uh, an accredited agency like this. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense, John? Yeah, it does. And, and um, you know, w one other perspective that I was thinking about is, you know, what's in it for the testing laboratory? You know, I know we're getting toward the tail end of this, but, you know, if I'm a testing laboratory, uh, this this program might be intriguing, uh, especially if I'm trying to establish some sort of competitive uh, market advantage, right? So th this, this is really geared towards those testing laboratories. And if I'm trying to, to get more opportunities with medical device companies, I probably should pay attention to this program. Well, I think the biggest and most obvious motivation for the testing labs, John, is ka-ching, 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 is, is, yeah. is the money. And if this program does become successful and does become popular in the coming months and years, and I suspect that for me two kinds of devices, it probably will. If you're a testing lab and let's say that you can advertise, hey, you, you know, just use catheters, for example, we've, we've done the testing for, you know, the following catheter companies that went into their submission and ultimately they got cleared or approved by the FDA, then that's going to be a, a huge marketing advantage for them because then anybody else coming out with a similar catheter is probably going to be inclined to at least look at that particular testing lab uh, to, to, to do their testing. So I think that the benefits for the testing lab are pretty obvious. In addition to that, it's kind of like, you know, with the uh, quote-unquote new uh, uh, regulations that are going into effect in the EU right now, this has become the best job security for the no notified bodies that anybody could ever imagine. Yeah. So I think that, I think that um, you know, if this accreditation program becomes popular, I think it could also be great job security for the testing labs to be able to do this kind of testing. So I think in that perspective, John, it, it can certainly be a win-win for everybody. All right. Well, Mike, thanks for diving into this ASCA program a little bit further and, and uh, kind of unpacking some of the, the pros to uh, cons and the details of, of this program. Um, folks, uh, you know, you're probably very familiar with uh, these types of conversations that Mike and I have from time to time. But certainly if, if you're trying to figure out which programs are, are 
applicable to what you're doing? You know, what kind of regulatory strategy uh, or strategies make sense for your, your device, for your company? What sort of submissions um, may make sense? And, and all things regulatory, frankly, uh, Mike Drews is the best. You know, he's with Vascular Sciences. Uh, we didn't go through his, his resume or his bio, but he works with companies of all shapes and sizes. He also does consulting uh, for regulatory agencies, including FDA and Health Canada. So certainly a guy that's in the know. So I would encourage you to reach out to him. And certainly as... Uh, you're exploring your quality management system and the needs that, that you have to, to grow your business. Uh, we're here to help at Greenlight Guru as well. So if you're interested in learning more about the Greenlight Guru EQMS software platform, I would highly encourage you to go to www.greenlight.guru to learn more. Uh, as we're recording this, uh, we just launched some robust change management functionality within the application. Uh, it's amazing. I can't wait for, for all of you to have a chance to see and use that, but uh, you'll certainly want to check that out. Also, I have workflows for helping you manage design and development, the risks that are associated with that, as well as all your post-market quality events. So go to www.greenlight.guru to learn more about the only EQMS software platform designed only for the medical device industry by actual medical device professionals. As always, thank you so much for being a listener of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Be sure to share this with your friends and colleagues. And also be sure to check out our other podcast at Greenlight Guru called MedTech True Quality Stories. So wherever you're listening to this, just do a search for MedTech True Quality Stories and you'll get a chance to hear me chat with some MedTech executives and, and ex explain their, their true quality journey and how they overcame obstacles and, and really making some really fantastic products that are going to save and improve the quality of life. So thank you so much. As always, this is your host, founder and VP of quality and regulatory at Greenlight Guru, John Spear.